Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. News Radio Studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we're very, very happy to be here. It was great being in D.C. yesterday, but back, uh, back in action. Still, D.C. looks like a ghost town. I could not believe how many smash windows I saw in the nation's capital just across the street. Uh, from Union Station, my goodness, fix this stuff. And just talking to the, the Uber drivers and the people on the street, they just want commerce to come back. Uh, same thing in New York, same thing in L.A. Can you imagine when this election is over? And I don't believe it's COVID, but more, I think it's more election than COVID when we can get back to normal. Uh, and at least all be on the same page because Republicans will realize this is the they want it to open up anyway. I don't know anyone that doesn't. And Democrats will say either the President Trump, we got him four more years, or they, we got a new guy coming in and no reason to hold the country hostage anymore. We're also waiting on some good news from the Big Ten. I believe the Big Ten is about to say we're going to play football, which is awesome. Only politics kept them off the field. Lara Trump this hour, Senator James Langford at the bottom of the hour. But first, this. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. She is threatening to keep the House Democrats in session and prevent them from going home and running for re-election unless the Senate Republicans agree to the Speaker's $3.4 trillion coronavirus bill. Senator John Kennedy trying to make sense of the sudden need for the Speaker to cut a deal. The COVID aid package is rescued, perhaps, through a life preserver, maybe. Can the parties get another deal done? Should they? It's an examination over oppressive state lockdowns. That's what it all is. Meanwhile, the people and the players uh, win the day because Big Ten football might actually be back in action. They were trying to put the maximum pain on the voters, but the football players would not have it. I hope they get their way. Number two. After decades of division and conflict, we mark the dawn of a new Middle East. Today's signing sets history on a new course, and there will be other countries very, very soon that will follow these great leaders. And the president is not overstating it. For a president that overstates everything, he's always selling. He didn't hear. Historic, earth-shattering change in the Middle East as countries rally with Israel to reshape the peace. Not guns and bombs. All deserve credit, all of them, but none more than the Trump administration. What was done? What was accomplished with Bahrain and UAE? And why was so many uh, can't give the why do so many go out of their way not to give this administration credit? Number one. The bad news is I show up when I'm invited. So, you know, your poor relative, well, I'm like the poor relative. The poor relatives show up, eat all your food, stay longer than they should. The wealthy ones don't come. I'm like the poor relative. I show up. Really? You don't show up. 
Now I get it. After seeing and reading about Joe Biden's unscripted appearances in Florida, now it's clear why he's not on the campaign trail more than once a week. He's slow, angry, and odd. However, Trump shows he's not quite ready for his first debate and has to be if he wants to take, once again, four more years in the White House in all those battleground states. So uh, I'll take the first part, Joe Biden. So he goes down to Florida. He's losing Latino votes. So it's it's a national, excuse me, it's the American Heritage Month. So they want to go down there, Hispanic Heritage Month, and they want to go down there and establish themselves with Hispanics. Why should they? The Cuban community hates the Obama administration. They can't believe they normalize relations with Cuba. And Trump undid it. Why? They didn't have overtures to us. They didn't reform their ways. They didn't say, uh, President Obama, meet me halfway and we'll end this embargo together. The president just forced his way in. That was his policy. Well, guess who you ticked off? A lot of Cuban-Americans. And they vote. And they are located in Florida. Many. Next. Venezuelans. Relocated. Refugees. Relocated. Many in Florida. Very similar climate. A lot of Venezuelans there. Who had a tougher policy? One basically just ignored Venezuela, and the other one's taking on Venezuela. Now, it has not been a successful policy yet, but they're confronting it. They're putting on the pressure to take Maduro down and recognize a, um, a positive force uh, and a positive group in that area. That helps. So Joe Biden's got to go down there and say, Puerto Rico, I want you to be a state. And uh, the president threw towels when Puerto Rico got hit by a hurricane. And the president's tough on illegal immigrants. Now, on one Monmouth poll, the president's doing not that great. I mean, Monmouth did a poll. They, they surveyed likely voters. A recent poll showed 53 to 37. Joe Biden's got a lead. Now, I just looked at a Wall Street Journal NBC poll. It shows in Florida only, in Florida, Trump by four. Unbelievable. It makes me want to throw the polls in the street, but I'm going to share them. A lot of people put a lot of money into them. This is their careers. And I know Trump has changed everything, but that's something I'll go over. But keep in mind, they were so wrong last time. But Joe Biden's appearance is just terrible. He talks through his mask, number one. But there's just put people on the other side of you. Take the mask off and tell me what you're saying. But here's a little of the oddness of the 77-year-old cut one. The bad news is I show up when I'm invited. So, you know, your poor relative, well, I'm like the poor relative. The poor relatives show up, eat all your food, stay longer than they should. The wealthy ones don't come. I'm like the poor relative. I show up. Okay. You, you barely ever show up. Almost all your events are virtual, and you don't invite people. Now, Trump maybe went the other way. Goes to Nevada, goes to Nevada, goes to Henderson, sells the place out. Joe Biden puts little circles on the ground and spreads out the press and doesn't take any questions from him. Cut two is another big mistake by Joe Biden. How do you make this mistake? Cut Harris two. The Biden administration is going to relaunch that effort and keep pushing further to make it easier for military spouses and veterans to find meaningful careers to ensure teachers know how to support military children in their classrooms. Okay. Uh, he's trying to win over the military vote. Uh, the president has that. Why does the president have that vote? Because he funded the military fully. He also focused on the VA like a laser. And number three, he changed the rules of engagement. Now, the Atlantic magazine story comes out. But on the other story, the other side is, what's the president doing? He says, I just don't want he goes to He goes to Walter Reed all the time. And he also spends a lot of his time, to the chagrin of many generals, pulling troops out of conflict, which also help him get Middle East peace. 
So Joe Biden is trying to get the military. He's trying to get the Hispanic vote. So here's Joe Biden, who thinks he's going to win over people by playing Despatico. I never heard this song before, but evidently the singer introduced him. So he gets on stage and bopped around to this. Cut four. I just have one thing to say. Hang on here. <laughs> All right. Okay, thanks. And did you go to Taco Bell before the event? Do you think that the Hispanic vote can easily be won over like that? Are you talking to one person or are you talking to a whole state and around the country? What he has is a lot of money. What he has is $100 million to pour into Florida. What he wants is Florida. But it's Trump that needs Florida if he wants to win. I don't know anybody that thinks he can win the election without Florida. And if the president's got some money, he better use it. Now's the time. Because in comes Bloomberg, who hates him, and I know the feeling's mutual. So... Joe Biden came out and told this story, and I mentioned odd before, because you're trying to say that PTSD is a real problem, but listen to what he's saying. The example he uses, which might not even exist, cut six. There was a Marine veteran who had been deployed a total of six times. Dodge Ram started down the street in front of his house, saw a woman walking her dog, ran over her, killed her killed the dog, put her in the back of his pickup truck, molested her, came home and called the state police and said, I just killed someone. There was a voice in my head saying I had to kill someone. We have to end the stigma surrounding mental health treatment. Okay, I don't know what he's talking about. There is no stigma on PTSD. I want to get to Laura Trump. But Joey Jones, who served, lost his legs. He's a bomb technician. Uh, and you don't have to tell anybody about sacrifice. He doesn't want to talk about it. He wants to help people. He doesn't, he want, you know, respect is great, but he doesn't want every day for people to go up to him and say, how'd you lose your legs? And thanks. He wants to live his life. So he listened to this, and he weighed in this morning, cut seven. But to listen to the vice president, when I was serving, when I lost my legs, tell a story like this that one probably is not grounded in fact. I, I, I think that I and, and your producers couldn't find this story anywhere. But two, that, that literally equates serving in war to becoming evil, it, it's abhorrent. It, it's the worst thing I've ever heard a presidential candidate say about men and women serving. And yes, I was listening when President Trump ran for office and said a few things I didn't like as well. Uh, but that, that's the worst thing. That undid 10 years of work in the, in the military nonprofit mental health community of actually removing a stigma. These men and women may lose their will to live, but they don't lose their soul. They may hurt themselves, but they don't go hurting others. It's very rare. So think about that. Uh, I thought Joey Jones just just nailed it, and I sent that message to Eric. I go, Eric, let's just pull this sound because he puts it perfectly in a way and only a veteran that sacrificed so much can do. He's got to stop this. He makes up these stories and got away with it about Afghanistan and pinning a medal on people. It never happened. He made up uh, a speech. He plagiarized the whole thing. He cheated in college. This guy's a problem. And the stuff, even the stuff he can't remember about his past is a problem. And he can't remember much about his future. And I wonder how anyone, I have not seen anyone who said, I can't wait for Joe Biden to be president. I know a lot of people that don't want Donald Trump to be president. One of them is not my next guest. It's Lara Trump, senior advisor, Trump 2020. She's going to be with us and talk about the president getting ready for this debate, uh, his traveling and, and his appearances and what it's going to take to repeat the miracle of 2016. 
Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The Trump administration and Trump campaign has been uh, crowing about favorable polling among Latinos in, in Florida, and I think rightfully so. It's still a competitive state. I think Joe Biden's campaign looks at Florida and says, we'd love to have Florida if we can get it, but we don't absolutely need it. I think the Trump campaign, on the other hand, really needs Florida to get to 270. And Larry Trump joins us now, senior advisor of the Trump 2020 campaign, looks at all those scenarios. She doesn't just speculate. She knows. And she has the polls uh, that really fuel the campaign and tells her where to go, not the polls necessarily that we get. Laura, welcome uh, back to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, thanks for having me. Great to be with you. And uh, I am actually in Florida right now as we speak. Do you believe what Steve Hayes said, that the Trump campaign, there's no path to victory without Florida? I don't fully believe that, but I'll tell you what, we won Florida in 2016. We plan on winning Florida in 2020. And look, unlike the Biden campaign, we are out working for every single vote around this country. We have a Women for Trump bus tour headed through Florida right now. We have our Team Trump bus tour out across the country. The president is out, my husband, Ivanka, Don Jr., Kimberly. We are all spread out around the country working overtime because we believe you play every second of the game like you're behind until the game is over. We want to work for every single person's vote. And uh, that's exactly what the Trump campaign is doing. And look, our polling in Florida is is incredible. Our polling with uh, Latino voters, with black Americans, um, with women is actually so much better than most people would like you to believe. But look, we're going to work hard all the way till November 3rd. That's the plan. When you talk to business people, do you sense the worst is over or do you think there's a lot of people waiting for another rescue package? I think it depends on your state. Look, if you are in a a state run by a far left liberal governor that has not allowed businesses to reopen or in some cases has opened businesses and then told businesses they're going to have to close again, I think it's very hard. I've talked to, uh, especially in New York City and Manhattan, uh, restaurants in particular that have been open for like 100 years. And they're saying, if we don't 
have the ability to reopen by October, we will have to close our doors forever. Uh, so I think what people want is they want the ability to live. They want the ability to make their own decisions. They want to reopen their businesses. So I think, you know, it depends what state you're in, but people certainly want to get back to work. They are not looking for handouts from the government continually. But I do think it would be great to give people who have not had the opportunity to go back to work, not had the opportunity to reopen their doors, a little bit of help right now until those governors can finally realize it's time to get our country back open. So Nancy Pelosi says she's keeping the House in session until they get another rescue package done when her problem really is the Senate. So that's kind of odd. But she said this about another rescue package, what Republicans really want. Some people said, well, we'll do this bill and then we'll do another bill. You think the administration is going to do another bill? All they want is to have the president's name on a check going out, $300, and and that's all he, he really cares about. But again, this is a moment. This is big. They have a skinny bill, as Chuck calls it, emaciated bill for a massive problem. And I don't know why you all are not saying to the Republicans, why don't you give in? You say it to us, and we came down $1.2 trillion. So what's your answer to that? Is this all about putting the president's name on a check? Well, this is about helping the people in this country like this president has done from the first day he took office. He always wants to do the right thing for people. And if you look particularly at the coronavirus pandemic, not only was this president looking out for the physical safety and health of the American people, but with the Paycheck Protection Program, with, you know, making sure that small businesses could stay afloat and people could weather this storm, he has every step of the way wanted to make sure that Americans can weather this storm, can get through this, can get to the other side. We are coming out of it. We are seeing uh, the V-shaped recovery, the K-shaped recovery, some people call it, uh, depending on what state you're in. But the reality is, you know, people do need a little bit of help. And I think we all know what Nancy Pelosi is ultimately worried about, and it's where she can get her hair done and how she can rig the system to work for her and tell everybody else that they have to follow the rules, but she's not going to do it. So I think it's a little ridiculous to hear her try and lecture people right now. Right. And we do not know where she's going to get her hair done because that salon closed. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to follow that story for you because I know you're on the bus and you cannot able to do it. But I was just going to follow up with some. There's so many hit books out there on, on your family and the presidency. One was after the president made his after he made his speech saying, I'm in the race, going down the escalator, that he got back to the office and your husband, as well as Don Jr. said, and Vanka, don't do this. We're going to destroy your business. You just made the comment about the border and Mexicans. It's going to hurt us. And they try to convince him to drop out right away. Is that true? No, that is not true at all. That's totally inaccurate. And I think what people will see, and and Brian, we might not see this for 50 years. We might all be long gone whenever the truth comes out. But I always believe the truth comes out. And at the end of the day, we all knew the reason my father-in-law decided to run for president is because he was sick and tired, like so many people in this country, of seeing America put last, of seeing our country get run into the ground, be sold out to, you know, selling out the American people and selling off the American dream to other countries. We knew that he could get this job done. And I think what people are starting to realize is Donald Trump never needed this job. He did it and he continues to do it because he knows, quite frankly, he is probably the only person that could get it done properly. He has never taken money 
from lobbyists, from special interest groups. He only cares about doing the right thing for the American people. Uh, so, of course, we're in election season. We're in a campaign season. You're going to see books like this come out every day. I'm sure there will be more of this. But I think people get it now. I think people know yeah. these his jobs are, are just that. And, and people are tuned into the actual results Donald Trump has produced. Laurie, one thing is for sure, he's got to be proud that you're working on his team. You're doing a great job. Laurie Trump, thanks so much. Thank you. All right. She gets mother, she gets daughter-in-law of the year. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think it is clear. I believed at the time in 2016, and I continue to believe that Donald Trump is compromised by the Russians. And when I say that, I mean that they hold leverage over him that makes him incapable of placing the national interest, the national security ahead of his own. One of the largest ways that people in foreign governments gain leverage, certainly in the case of the president, is through financial entanglements. And I think when you take a look at the, the Trump financial enterprise, particularly its relationship with Russian, with Russian monies and potentially those related to organized crime and other elements, that those interactions have placed him in a position where the Russians have leverage over him and are able to influence his actions. Exactly. Even though he has no idea what's going on in his business and Senate uh, was unable to find any Russian connections. You have Michael Cohen saying that he wanted to get a Trump Tower Russia, okay, he wanted a Trump Tower in Saudi Arabia, too, and they ended up putting all types of restrictions on it, didn't build it. There's a Trump Tower in Turkey, so uh, that's just what an international business person does. That is Peter Strzok, at the heart who named Crossfire Hurricane, I believe, the whole investigation. He wrote a book, he's trying to exonerate himself. You could drive a tractor trailer through a lot of his uh, conclusions. Senator James Lankford, member of the Senate Homeland Security Committee, Appropriations and Finance, uh, talking Crossfire Hurricane, also talking about what's happening uh, in this country right now uh, and the election. Senator, welcome back. Good to be back with you, Brian. Has the president mentioned to you that he's compromised by Russia? <laughs> he has not mentioned that to me, probably because he has not. Uh, the whole the whole uh, Russia issue has been just a painful journey for the entire country. This was the way Democrats from the beginning uh, were working to be able to undercut the president. This is why Susan Rice uh, was advising uh, Jim Comey uh, to not share classified information about Russia with the president. This is why they were putting uh, individuals that were political appointees for President Obama into the National uh, Security uh, uh, Council as career people right before President Trump came in. So they were basically plants into the uh, system. Uh, but this was set up to be able to undercut the president from the very beginning. And uh, they ran with accusations as if they were facts because they wanted to believe them to be true, but they just flat out weren't true. And after millions of dollars of investigation and years of distraction for the country, we now know that all these accusations accusations were not true. By the way, I've been in Seoul, South Korea. There's a Trump Tower in Seoul, South Korea. There's Trump Towers all over the world because he is an international business guy. And wait a second, Senator, is that the same South Korea that the president's demanding start paying for their weapon system? Is that, that the is same the South Korea the president says, one. I want to, pull, I want to pull, pull troops out of there, and they're saying, please don't, please don't? Yeah, he's, he's saying basically you got to pay for your portion there. So, yeah, the Trump Tower is all over the world here. And to somehow say that President Trump wanted a Trump Tower uh, somewhere in Russia, uh, that now he's going to be compromised by the Russians, is an 
enormously big stretch, uh, to say the least on it, and then make all these weird accusations, and to have an FBI official like Peter Strzok uh, step up and say, well, it could have been uh, international criminals, it could have been all these folks from Russia that were doing this and were behind this, uh, knowing he doesn't have any facts on the ground on it, other than there was an ongoing conversation to be able to try to put a tower there, as there are in many countries around the world. So, Senator, you you are off. You're authorizing subpoenas for the chair uh, for the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Uh, who are you looking to call? Well, hopefully we'll have folks just voluntarily cooperate. Uh, but as we walk through this, we, we have a long list in this. Uh, uh, John, uh, John Brennan, James Clapper, uh, Jim Comey, uh, uh, Michael Dempsey. Uh, we have quite a long list of folks that we're actually walking through to be able to say, we'd like for you to voluntarily cooperate, including Bruce Orr and Andrew McCabe. Uh, so th- these folks should be able to cooperate. Uh, there's no reason they wouldn't be able to cooperate. Um, but we're saying we're putting a subpoena in place in case they choose not to cooperate on this. Uh, but this is something we also did in June. I took a vote like this in June. Uh, Democrats are trying to be able to stonewall this and to say, well, there's a technicality in the committee rules that you have to actually note the date of the subpoena, which we've never had to be able to push before. So we did this vote in June. Uh, we've had several folks that have voluntarily cooperated. Now we're doing it again uh, to be able to add an additional date to it. Uh, but Democrats are just trying to be able to slow the whole process down and to be able to keep the information from coming out on it. Our focus is it is entirely appropriate to look at the transition that's always been a peaceful transition uh, between presidents to say, except during the time of President Obama, that in that transition time Mm -hmm. after President Trump was elected, President Obama's team intentionally put things in place to be able to uh, uh, disable the next president coming in from actually implementing their policies. That's not been true of previous presidents. That was certainly true of the time during President Obama's time. We need to look at that transition because that is a cornerstone of the American democracy is that when the people speak, the the existing president helps the next president get ready for it and doesn't set a time bomb for him. Well, yeah, that would help. Uh, And it said really poisoned the well for the next three years. Uh, But do you think you should coordinate with the Judiciary Committee? Yes, and we are coordinating with the Judiciary Committee. Uh, Lindsey Graham's committee has a whole series of uh, different subpoenas that they are doing. We're doing some in Homeland Security. Uh, we're working back and forth between the two, not trying to compete. Uh, we, we've got different different areas. Our focus right now is just on the transition time period to make sure we're getting the information uh, prepared on how to handle the peaceful transition of power. That's part of the responsibility of Homeland Security Committee. Understood. Uh, so I want you to hear more from Peter Strzok before we talk about yesterday's events, too. When I read the Mueller report, and certainly when I looked at the recent bipartisan Senate Intel Committee report, almost a thousand pages laying out all of these areas of intelligence connections between the Trump and his administration and his campaign in Russia, that's extraordinarily concerning from a counterintelligence perspective. Because a relationship of counterintelligence concern is a completely different matter from proving something in a court of law. So he's all in. He says that Papadopoulos is a bad guy, Carter Page, a, a bad guy that need to be investigated, uh, tangential players in the Trump campaign. Manafort came in, came out. He says there were five, four alarm fires with all these guys. And he said Joseph Mifsud never worked for the FBI. He's the one who originally gave the inf- uh, got information to or got from Papadopoulos. Do you have any questions about this? Because the American people, I'm, I'm really into it in a, in a disordinate way. I get it. I'm reading his book just to get his perspective. But are you interested in that part of this investigation? 
I would say I'm not interested in that part of the investigation anymore because I served on the Intelligence Committee at the time that we were going through all of this in, in 2006. Do you have all uh, your answers? I'm sorry, 2016 and 17 and 18. We looked at all these issues. Uh, a counterintelligence issue is is serious, but what that is, is is a Russian actor trying to influence someone else. That doesn't mean that that person is actually influenced or that it's actually carried out. We have the same issue with individuals and challenges with China. Uh, we've had the FBI actually go to a, a Democratic member of the Senate and to say, hey, you've got somebody on your staff uh, that could be compromised in this. That becomes a non-story because it's a Democratic member. Uh, but if there are other individuals in other places, right. or definitely the Trump campaign, they're all over it saying just because the Russians are trying to engage must mean they did, must mean the president gave in, must mean that the president's influenced by them. Uh, it, just because someone is trying to do something uh, doesn't mean that they're actually influenced uh, in the campaign itself. And if you look at what the president's done with Russia, more sanctions, uh, more areas of isolation on Russia, a pushback to give actual lethal weapons to Ukraine uh, so they could fight back, a push with Germany to cut off this Nord Stream 2 pipeline between Russia and Germany uh, to try to make sure that uh, Russia doesn't get a long-term foothold uh, into Europe. Uh, The president's been tough on Russia. And then to somehow say there were three uh, tangential people in the campaign that the Russians tried to influence at some point, and so that must mean everything's evil. It's just a huge stretch, and the FBI and Peter Strzok knows that uh, from doing actual evidence. So this is uh, his continual political campaign, but definitely not an issue where there are facts and witnesses on the ground that would substantiate what he's saying. Senator James Langford, our guest, and Senator, yesterday, historic day at the White House. I mean, this goes back to Yasser, excuse me, uh, um, Menachem Begin and Anwar Sadat, uh, King Hussein of Jordan coming together, recognizing Israel and putting their guns and bombs down. Nothing yeah. has happened for two decades. And all of a sudden, you got the UAE, Bahrain, setting up diplomatic relations and exchanges on e- economic relations with Israel. Yeah. Put it in so perspective. In- in, in Israel's 70-year history, there have only been two Arab nations that have recognized Israel's right to exist. Uh, that is Egypt and Jordan. Every other Arab nation has all said they don't even have a right to exist. There's only two in their 70-year history. Yesterday, there were two more. Uh, so it was a very significant day to add Bahrain and to add uh, the United Arab Emirates. Uh, there's already been flights now moving between Israel and the United Arab Emirates in Abu Dhabi. That's very significant uh, to see that movement. We're talking the Israeli flag flying at an embassy in the UAE uh, is a huge shift that has occurred. And while a lot of the national media is just going to yawn and move on, that is a giant movement towards peace in the Middle East. And what was spoken over and over again yesterday, and I I was privileged to be able to be at the White House ceremony yesterday, what was spoken over and over again is this is two, uh, but there are many more that are coming right behind it that we're in conversations with. And to be able to hear the foreign minister of Bahrain turn to President Trump and say, it was your statesmanship that got this done, uh, was a really big moment, not only for the president, but I think the national media had to go crazy over that because they've accused the president of saying, he's terrible, all Muslim nations hate him, every Muslim in the world hates him, and then to see uh, two of the most significant Muslim nations in the region turn to the president and say, this wouldn't have happened without your leadership, and thank you for helping bring peace to the Middle East and to our countries uh, was a big day. This day is a pivot of history. It heralds a new dawn of peace. 
For thousands of years, the Jewish people have prayed for peace. For decades, the Jewish state has prayed for peace. And this is why today we're filled with such profound gratitude. I am grateful to you, President Trump, for your decisive leadership. You have unequivocally stood by Israel's side. So they've been friends, but they had, this is results. Oh, yeah. So I, I listen, I, I, they still, we, I still remember sitting in school and them going over the history and the Balfour Declaration and uh, the 73 war and the 67 war and the conflict in the 50s and how Iraq uh, broke that country in half and they were almost destroyed. And we just say to ourselves, this never, they're never going to have peace. But all of a sudden, the president and his team pivot away from Palestinian, Palestinians and the Israelis and they start going around and, and talking to the other nation, mostly Sunni, and they realize there's not as nearly as much angst between them as everyone thinks. Yeah, it, 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 it's a huge moment and a real change in what uh, you're playing Benjamin Netanyahu's speech yesterday. The pivot that he talked about in Middle East in the Middle East is that there's been a, a shift. President Obama's statement and his uh, way of negotiating was the United States is going to act like Switzerland in the Middle East, and we're going to be just neutral to everybody and act like everyone's equal to us. President Trump has put that on its head and said, you know what? We are the United States of America. Israel is our ally, and we want to negotiate a peace in the region. But first, we're going to tell you that Israel's our ally, and we're going to stand with her in this process. That position of strength has actually opened up the opportunities for other countries to say, okay, we get it, and if we want to be friends with America, and UAE does, and Bahrain does, and other areas in the region do, they say we've got to be able to step on board on this. And what has not even been stated by a lot of folks is uh, what happened in Serbia and Kosovo. Those two countries have been at odds with each other for decades as well. Uh, President Trump has negotiated a peace between the two and a recognition of two, and part of their agreement for Kosovo and for Serbia to come into right relations with the, they're also moving their embassy to uh, Jerusalem. Uh, so there's yet another set of countries that are coming in. So I, the reason I connect it all is because the administration continues to say, we're going to show Israel is our ally, and we're going to recognize her capital that she actually says is her capital, which is Jerusalem, and we're going to encourage all nations that we're working with to also recognize uh, Jerusalem as the capital and continue to strengthen that. That strength is bringing other people to the table to be able to negotiate peace. I know you want the president to win four more years. I know you haven't agreed with him all the time. That's fine. I've been sassed, same thing. But I know you, you fundamentally see a lot of the good things he's done. Uh, and you have influence. I know he has great respect for you. What does your gut tell you about this election right now? I sense it has not been won or lost yet on either side. What, what do you see? I, I agree the exact same thing on that. And while uh, I, I don't agree with anybody all of the time on that, the president has shown real results both in the economy, uh, what we're doing in health, what we're doing in, uh, around the world in foreign affairs. Uh, those are all exceptionally significant for any president to be able to do. Uh, I don't always agree with the way that he speaks about things, and he and I talk about that. We have a great relationship. Right. And uh, he'll poke at me and say, how many Twitter followers do you have and how many do I have? Right. And uh, it's, it's always just kind of a funny dialogue between 
between the two of us, and that, that's great. Uh, I don't I don't have an issue with that. Uh, but I, I do think this is still up in the air. But I've said from the beginning, from months ago, uh, either Biden's going to win by a landslide or Trump's going to win narrowly on this because I think the president continues to be able to show results on it. And I think the American people are still looking at the results. And I think people will look at it at who, wherever they are and will say, okay, don't always like the way he says it, but do like where we're headed as a country. And we shouldn't live our lives every day based on what the president says. We have all have real lives. Right. Is the president giving us results that really affect our lives, that we can live our lives independently with religious liberty, with our way to be able to speak, our way to be able to take our kids to school? Is that what we're allowed to do? Yes. Well, that would tell me that uh, then we should reelect President Trump again. Uh, Senator, I'm going to try to get you more Twitter followers. Listen, if you're listening to us right now, we've got to get Senator Lang for as many Twitter <laughs> followers as the president. Please act. Senator, thanks so much. You bet. At Senator Langford, we'll take them all. So <laughs> thanks, y'all. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox the News talk Radio show that's studios, getting you New talking. City, you're giving with you Brian Kilmeade. With a positive what deal can approach? we have at Crazy it's Nancy? Brian I'm sorry, I, that was the president. I, I, I have such reverence for the office, I would never use that term. But it is but you hard, just did. isn't it? Oh, come <laughs> but on. you just did. You know what I mean. You know, I know what, what I mean. mean. The I reverence did. I have I for the... So what was... That was uh, uh, Jim Cramer on CNBC talking to a very friendly Nancy Pelosi, and then he calls her crazy Nancy. He just told a little slip. I liked it. Jim Cramer was here. I like that guy. Uh, that is fantastic. To tell Nancy Pelosi to her face, she's crazy Nancy. It's just fantastic. But, uh, and by the way, something is happening with the polls. There's a reason why she's making these statements. I'm going to have all the the House stay here until we come up with a package. There's something that needs to be done, and she knows it. And no, no, there's no state that's a bigger mess. There's no small businesses taking a, uh, paying a bigger price than the state of California because of the lockdown, because of the stops and starts, uh, because they want to make sure that the California doesn't reinvigorate before the election, my opinion. And number three... The fires, burning the whole state up. Here's more from Pelosi. And what she said about President Trump is totally uncalled for, inaccurate, and not respectful of her office. Cut 37. I have any confidence that he won't interfere. I think he will do anything uh, because I think he's proven uh, again and again that he is not a patriot. Uh, that he has no respect for the Constitution of the United States, which he has no uh, uh, hesitation to violate. So I think you suspect the worst there. But don't dwell on him. Uh, Let's reach out Mm -hmm. and look forward to the American people. Because the the more we talk about him, the less we're talking about a positive message. Yeah, she's so positive. She's like Anthony Robbins. So uplifting. Go get your hair done. Not a patriot. My goodness. Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. All right, it's going to be a big hour coming to you from New York City. Yes, we're back in the Big Apple where everybody's home, uh, nobody's working, uh, except us. And we're happy to be here. It's still the world's capital. People want to go when they're allowed and not quarantined. But I qualify all these things. Uh, Avi Berkowitz will be with us. He's an assistant to the President of the United States. It was about that historic day yesterday with the Middle East peace agreements. And P.J. O'Rourke, the legendary political satirist, uh, he'll be joining us shortly. He's got a brand-new book out. He's tried to make sense of this political landscape. And keep in mind, he's been writing about elections really since McGovern got trounced by Nixon. And we'll see where we're heading and get his prediction on that. And we got your phone calls, one 408 7669 We got some good news if you're in New York. Uh, the mayor promises to pick up the garbage. Not him. He doesn't do any work. He sleeps till 10. Uh, that's why he doesn't want the garbage trucks around his neighborhood. doesn't want him waking him up. But the CEOs, 150 CEOs, wrote him a letter and said, pick up the garbage and stop the crime and we'll come back. He said, sorry, I have no money. Suddenly he realizes, I do have some money. I will pick up the garbage. We don't ask for much. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. She is threatening to keep the House Democrats in session and prevent them from going home and running for re-election unless the Senate Republicans agree to the Speaker's $3.4 trillion coronavirus bill. Uh, that is Senator John Kennedy trying to figure out what the speaker's up to. I think the rescue package just got a life preserver. Can the parties actually get a deal done for you? This is an examination of the over-oppressive state lockdowns like Pennsylvania begins to boomerang because the courts are ruling against them and the people are turning on them. It's about freedom and opportunity. Not everything is about politics, governors. Plus, the Big Ten decides they can play football. An eight-game season beginning October 24th. Good job. Number two. After decades of division and conflict, we mark the dawn of a new Middle East. Today's signing sets history on a new course, and there will be other countries very, very soon that will follow these great leaders. Historic, earth-shattering change in the Middle East as countries rally with Israel to reshape peace, not guns and bombs. All deserve credit, but none more than President Trump and his team. What was done, what was accomplished, and why so many just can't get themselves to credit the president for success. Number one. The bad news is I show up when I'm invited. So, you know, your poor relative, well, I'm like the poor relative. The poor relatives show up, eat all your food, stay longer than they should. The wealthy ones don't come. I'm like the poor relative. I show up. Uh, Joe Biden in Tampa, Florida, trying to make sense through a mask and is mumbling. Now I get it. After seeing and reading about Joe Biden's unscripted appearance in Florida, now it's clearer why his handlers don't want him on the campaign trail. He's slow, he's angry, and he's odd. However, Trump shows he's not quite ready for the first debate and has to be if he wants to take, once again, every battleground state. Get over three electoral votes, and especially Florida, where uh, the vice president was there. And Mike Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York, promises to spend $100 million of his own money just to get the word out about Joe Biden, who's outspending the president's got more money now. He went from no money, no donations, a dead candidacy to everybody who doesn't like Trump giving them everything they have, selling their homes, getting uh, Tom Selleck's reverse mortgage, everything in order to get rid of Donald Trump. 
Now, for the president of the United States, he needs to knock out in a couple of weeks at the debates. Chris Wallace will be moderating. I think he's going to do a great, and I think he's going to do a fair job. Why do I say that? Because he might be listening. No, why do I say that? Because he does. And I think he will will have a follow-up with Joe Biden. He will have a follow-up with the president. And for me, I watched as Barack Obama got trounced by Mitt Romney and almost lost the re-election. I watched when George Bush and John Kerry went at it. They was just President Bush when he was president. He's already done it four years. Not used to the debate. He's used to governing. Barack Obama, whether you loved him or not, was not used to the debate. He was used to governing. And all of a sudden, all his issues are being debated and hashed out. And Mitt Romney was coming off 25 debates, literally, against all Republicans' buzzsaws. So he was ready for the debate. And it took a debate for both men to get their feet underneath him. Donald Trump does not have that luxury. And I'm listening to him last night. To his credit, he chose to do a town hall with George Stephanopoulos, okay? He's going to do it. And he did it. So he got hostile questions. And if they didn't, it doesn't take long. If you're watching ABC, you're probably hostile to the president. So it's okay. That's what I think John McCain uh, let everyone realize. You could have a town hall, not screen the questions, and do okay. So the president of the United States, you tell me, I'm looking at some of these answers, non-answers, and he ran into trouble. No question. Here's an example with Stephanopoulos talking about the vaccine, cut nine. And it's probably going to go away now a lot faster because of the vaccine. It would go away without the vaccine, George, but it's going to go away a lot faster. It would go away without the vaccine? Sure. Over a period of time. Sure. With time. It goes many deaths. And you'll develop, you'll develop herd, like a herd mentality. It's going to be, it's going to be herd developed, and that's going to happen. That will all happen. But with the vaccine, I think it will go away very quickly. So that's not the best answer in the world, and I think you can keep it simple on that. There's no reason to get into herd immunity. That's controversial to begin with. But that's an act. That's an example of some Chris Wallace would say. And he's going to have to answer that question. And Joe Biden's going to have a very simple, I don't have to make any decisions. I can sit on the outside and just throw barbs. That's what makes it easier. So he's asked about the mass mandate. Cut 10. They said at the Democrat convention they're going to do a national mandate. They never did it because they've checked out and they didn't do it. And a a good question is you ask... Like Joe Biden, they said, we're going to do a national mandate on masks. He's called on all governors to have them. It is a state responsibility. Well, no, but he he didn't do it. I mean, he never did it. Because he changed his mind on that. But keep in mind, he's not president, which Joe Biden, I'm sure he didn't write this, but uh, he said, to be clear, I'm currently not president. But if you chip in now, we can change that in November. So he's not president. What the president wanted to say and what he did say, but not effectively, was he said, I'm going to do a mask mandate. And then he said, I'm going to tell governors to do it because it's really unconstitutional, which is exactly the president's point, why he wanted to empower governors to get the testing, empower governors, and give them the resources they need, empower them with all he could do. But he's going to tell them they know what they need better than Washington, D.C. So this was, I thought, the president's best attempt and legitimate attempt to explain what he was doing when he was talking about Woodward and said, I know it's going to be bad, and told us we can work our way through it. And people are saying you should have told everybody the truth that this plague was going to hit us and hundreds of thousands would die. So this was the pre- how the president explained himself last night. Cut 11. Yeah. So when Churchill was on the top of a building and he said everything's going to be good, everything's going to be become, and you have the Nazis dropping bombs all over London, 
He was very brave because he was at the top of a building. It was very well known that he was standing on buildings and they were bombing. And he says everyone's going to be safe. I don't think that's being necessarily honest. And yet I think it's being a great leader. But he said, you're going to be safe. Be calm. Don't panic. And you had bombers dropping bombs all over London. So I guess you could say that's not so honest. But it's still great leadership. So do you think it's okay to be dishonest? I, I'm not looking to be dishonest. I don't want people to panic, and we are going to be okay. That was that was strong, and it's really tough to go against Churchill. You can go against Churchill. Like president Obama evidently hated him, uh, but you can go against him. That's fine. But that's the president's strongest argument going forward. He would not even have this argument if he didn't talk to. Bob Woodward, he'd have other people say the president of the United States in February said that the, he knew it was going to be bad. And the president would say, well, no, I, I knew it was going to be bad, but I had to bring us through it. But instead, you have tapes. And that's, that's just a problem the president didn't need to have. But he said, I thought, you know, if I sat down with him and told him, he would understand where I'm coming from. And as the president told us yesterday, he uh, it's a boring book. So don't buy it. So there you go. When we come back, Middle East peace. Uh, what was accomplished and what's about to be accomplished? Why do you care? Why does it affect you at home? Because uh, there was a time when uh, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, were an everyday presence here. And all their affiliates, Al-Shabaab, an everyday presence here. And part of those extremists came out of the Middle East because they were frustrated with their governments. And we said, well, what can you do about it? There was an Arab Spring and it was a disaster. The, the former president of the United States embraced the Muslim Brotherhood. Morsi uh, ends up taking over in Egypt and President Obama embraced him. The president tried to the president at the time, Obama, tried to get a uh, a deal, a nuke deal with Iran, the JCPOA. It was a disaster. The president, this president undid it. And after trying to get a Middle East peace deal and finally publishing it and realizing the Palestinians don't want to come to the table, uh, Jared Kushner was redirected by the president to go and cut a deal with what we all know is unofficial, that the Sunni Muslims do not see the Israelis as a threat. They're willing to recognize them as a country, a Jewish state, and they want to set up trade and diplomatic relations. They've had it. They need the tech expertise. They need the business expertise that Israel has honed over the years, the IPOs. And there's a ton of innovation with the UAE especially. So let's start helping each other out and stop blowing each other up. It's easy to say. The president pulled it off. When we come back, the details on that. Then P.J. O'Rourke, to put this time and this turmoil in perspective. And then we end with your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Busy hour, don't move. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. After decades of division and conflict, we mark the dawn of a new Middle East. These agreements prove that the nations of the region are breaking free from the failed approaches of the past. Today's signing sets history on a new course, and there will be other countries very, very soon that will follow these great leaders. President of the United States talking about the historic uh, deal between the UAE, between Israel, and between Bahrain, joining us now to put in perspective what it was like yesterday, Avi Berkowitz, Assistant to the President and Special Representative for International Negotiations. Avi, would this have happened if there were objections from Saudi Arabia and and other Arab nations? 
Uh, so first off, thank you so much for having me on the show. And, uh, you know, yesterday was a, a great testament to President Trump's deal-making ability. So it certainly wouldn't have happened without President Trump's leadership. Uh, as it relates to Saudi Arabia, obviously, uh, they are the custodians of the two mosques, uh, holy mosques, uh, the holiest in the, in the religion. And so they, they play a significant role in the region. Uh, and specifically as it relates to Bahrain, they have a close relationship. So I don't want to necessarily say that, you know, what their role specifically was, but, you know, I think it's well understood that they play a significant role in the region. So, Avi, what, do you think the key was the fact that the administration walked away from the JCPOA, the Iranian deal? 100 percent. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the last administration left the Middle East sort of in, in, a, in a very difficult position. Israel felt isolated from the United States. Numerous Gulf Arab countries uh, felt betrayed by the Iran deal. And so a new coalition was sort of formed to push back against Iranian aggression, be it through proxy wars that they were starting, either in Yemen or in Syria or in Iraq or Afghanistan, you know, wherever it may be, uh, with Hezbollah and Lebanon. So and in Gaza with Hamas. And so there was just a, a coalition of, of countries that are partners with the United States who saw that aggression and were looking to the United States under President Trump's leadership and Jared Kushner as well to return a sense of normalcy to the region. And, and yesterday you saw a lot of those countries publicly coming out together to make to have peace agreements on the White House lawn that President Trump was able to broker. And I think you're right, it's a direct cause of the last administration's failed Iranian policy. Why do you think they felt comfortable after all these decades not waiting for the Palestinians? So I think a large a large portion of that is the fact that the president released on January of this year a vision for peace that Jared Kushner, David Friedman, the U.S. ambassador to Israel, Jason Greenblatt, and myself worked on for, for years, honestly, which laid out a very specific plan that articulated a way to realistically resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And the Palestinians' refusal to engage with the Trump administration since December of 2017 was seen by a lot of our regional partners in the Arab world as you know, impossible to comprehend. I mean, if the United States under President Trump, who's been honestly the greatest friend to a lot of these countries in the region, has put out a plan and you're refusing to engage, a lot of people saw that intransigence and said, look, you no longer have a veto over us. We're sovereign countries. We have the right to make our own decisions. And so they've lost that veto. And I think yesterday with Hamas sending rockets into Israel, I think you sort of have this split screen of are you for peace or are you for terrorism? And I think the Palestinians really have to look themselves in the mirror and make a very, very, very tough evaluation of their behavior. And hopefully going forward, they'll come back to the table and negotiate in good faith. So were you surprised that CNN took the time to not talk really about the deal, but to talk about how big the crowd was and how they were in social distancing? You know, it's it's sort of a little bit frustrating, and I, I feel for Jared Kushner because Jared led this team uh, brilliantly. He's he's been criticized to no end, and yet he came every single day, numerous numerous sort of different work streams, and and pulled off a tremendous victory. And President Trump, of course, as well. And you know, it's a little bit disappointing when people don't don't give it the attention. But I also think it sort of talks to a larger point, which is criticism actually does have a relevant place in government, right? Government employees should stand, you know, should stand for things and also be ready to be criticized when their policies are either good or when they're bad. 
But when we can't sort of see a Middle East peace deal as something that we sort of put aside, you know, partisan, you know, bickering or whatever it may be, and just really approach it with, I mean, the president was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize for it. I mean, this is a big deal. The president and Jared deserve tremendous adulation and credit. And so when we can't sort of do that, it makes it hard to really look at the criticism in a, in a reasonable light going forward when perhaps it might be warranted. But if we don't have the conversation at, in reasonable times, then, you know, it means nothing in the other time. Avi Berkowitz, assistant to the president with us. Avi, how real was that would-be plot to kill our ambassador in South Africa? And how worried are you that Iran will be looking to make themselves relevant and look tough and still seeking revenge for Soleimani's death? So I have not personally seen those reports, so I don't want to comment specifically on that. However, uh, you know, Iranian aggression is something that the United States takes very, very seriously. And, you know, the president took bold action in the region. But when Jared Kushner was, was traveling just this past, you know, weeks ago in the Middle East, he took the first flight on El Al to, uh, from Tel Aviv, an Israeli commercial carrier, to Abu Dhabi. And the Iranians put out a video tinted in red showing the, the, the team on the plane. I mean, that is a pretty provocative, inappropriate, obviously, uh, video to put out. And so, uh, you know, these, these actors, unfortunately, are not behaving in, in, you know, realistic, appropriate ways. And it's something that the administration is monitoring very carefully. Yeah, I know Thomas Friedman praised you guys, and you're crazy not to praise him. I just want to give another perspective. Charles Lane was on a special report last night, Cut 26. In a way, Iran still is the key to the Middle East. The difference is that instead of conciliating Iran, as the previous administration tried to do, the Israelis and the Gulf Arabs uh, want to confront and oppose and form a united front against Iran. I mean, it really overturns decades of conventional wisdom about and do you agree with that assessment? And if so, where does this go then? Yeah, I mean, I think Prime Minister Netanyahu even mentioned something in his speech yesterday about there needs to be a coalition of good actors in the region working together to push back on Iranian aggression. And when you look at the United Arab Emirates, I mean, they're so close just geographically to Iran. And so when you think about the potential for Israel and the UAE to work together to combat be it terrorism, you know, radical extremism, uh, mm -hmm. Iranian aggression, they are natural allies, both geographically and fundamentally, the way they understand the region and the mm -hmm. world. They're both against terrorism. You know, and one thing is clear, Avi, this is an exciting time. Avi Berkowitz, in a major accomplishment, assistant to the president. Thanks so much for joining us from the White House. P.J. O'Rourke. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one -on -one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. In your opinion, is socialism a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, I think people kind of throw that word around to try to scare you. But if helping people is socialism, then I'm for it. Trying to spread the wealth is definitely a good thing in America, and okay. it's definitely a thing that's needed. Do you have a positive reaction to socialism or a negative one? I'd say a more positive one. I'm definitely more open to it. But we should have a standard of living for all people. If we did it democratically, then we could really incorporate socialism. How would you define socialism? Hmm. Um, I mean, it's definitely more of an open form of government, and it feels like a lot more accessible to a lot more people. What does that mean necessarily, though? I'm, to be quite honest, I don't know. 
<laughs> which is exactly why P.J. O'Rourke wrote his book. Uh, a cry from the middle, a cry, cry from the far middle, dispatches from a divided land. He's taken on socialism head on. And we're all abhorred by the fact that it seems to be resonating in today's world. In fact, almost 50 percent of young people seem to view socialism in a positive way. Young adults. And it's only growing from there. Seven in 10 millennials say they'd vote for a socialist. Hence, Bernie Sanders. Uh, it's not because of his hair. P.J. O'Rourke joins us now. Hey, P.J., welcome back. Well, I'm glad to be back. And boy, yeah, what's going on here? I mean, first place, having been a young person once, uh, <laughs> I seem to recall that young people are crazy. Uh, so that's one explanation. Well, I'll give but you your my- quote. I love your quote. P.J. O'Rourke, young people are not only penniless and powerless, they're also ignorant as hell. It comes with the territory. There's no doubt about that. But I think probably the main thing that that um, uh, that that young people aren't seeing just it's just historical. It's just a matter of time. For young people, the fall of the Berlin Wall, which is like yesterday for me, is a long, long time ago. As long ago for me as the Great Depression uh, uh, would be. And they, they 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 just haven't seen how badly this thing works. Uh, they could go look at Venezuela, but I mean Venezuela seems to be I don't know you know sort of a nutty outlier. Uh, they could go look at Cuba, but usually when they do look at Cuba, all they see is the old cars and the and, and the Guantanamera singing and the uh, and, and and cheap rum. Uh, if they were to go out into the countryside and find people starving, they, they might change their minds a little bit. It just doesn't work. Putting the government in control of an economy is an economic disaster. I mean, even go ask the communist Chinese. The communist Chinese got over socialism, and they're communists. So, uh, PJ, you think you have never really struck me as somebody in the middle. What do you mean a cry from the far middle? Well, I think our noise-to-signal ratio has gotten a little out of hand. I mean, we've got a lot of important political issues to debate, and instead we're screaming at each other, you know. It's like one of those family fights that starts out about, like, what color will the new couch be? and ends up um, um, yelling, you know, and I always hated your first wife, you know, and your mother treats me like dirt, and you leave wet towels on the bed. Uh, I, I think we're unnecessarily splitting ourselves up. I mean, I'm still the libertarian conservative as I always was, but I want, you know, I don't. I want a. I want a real fight over these issues. I don't want a professional wrestling match. We used to have a galvanizing force. You know what it was? An enemy. Soviet Union. We had to fight communism wherever we saw it, whether whatever continent. We debate on Vietnam War and what it was for, but it was really to stop communism and keep the markets free. So the Democrats and Republicans were united on that. It's how to do it would divide us. Now we don't necessarily have that common enemy. We're not necessarily even in the war on terror anymore, even though we to, to drop our guard would be crazy. But that's for this conversation. Is that part of the problem? Oh, that's definitely part of the problem. Nothing unites uh, America like an external enemy. And we're not a country that has, like, an internal cohesion. I mean, we're not really – we don't share ethnicity. 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 Yeah, yeah, I'll try saying that three times this time in the morning. Uh, uh, you know, we, we, we're not all related to blood. By blood, uh, we're barely related by language. You know, I mean, we come from all over the place. One of the reasons that we 
sometimes are hostile to foreigners is because we all are foreigners and we know what foreigners get up to. There's a lot of there's always been a lot of internal division in the United States. And boy, we pull together when we've got an exterior threat. When we don't have an exterior threat, we pull apart. What I think concerns me, but maybe not you, I want to put words in your mouth or thoughts in your head because you have so much in there, is that people are ripping apart our history. They're not even talking about the future. They're upset about our past. Always easier to change the past it's, it's, it, 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 than it is to uh, change the future. The, the, we all have a chance to change the future, um, but it's just much easier to turn around and, and pretend that things were, you know, that, that, that America is founded on original sin. Well, you know, America was founded by human beings with all the sins that they have, so there's something to that. But, I mean, this is... This country was not created in order to divide people and not created in order to categorize them and not created in order to oppress them. It was created to turn them free imperfectly because it was created by human beings and human beings are imperfect. And think about the progress we have made since 1776 in terms of the freedom of individuals, whatever their gender or their color yeah. or their gender preference or so on. The, the, the progress has been amazing. It's been amazing in my lifetime. And uh, uh, to, to, to see this just despised and, and ignored and refuted and uh, see all the screaming and yelling in the streets, it, it breaks my heart. Also, it was kind of stupid. Uh, Fred, uh, Frederick Douglass was not the problem. He was an escaped slave. Don't take his stature down. Abraham Lincoln was not a problem. He did some pretty good things, according to reports. I wasn't there, but I've read some of them. So yeah. what, they're going after the wrong people. Well, of course they are. You know, once you start once you start inspecting the, the feet of your heroes, you find that they all have a bit of clay in them, you know. And, yeah, we could pull down. There's probably nobody on earth whose stature doesn't deserve to be pulled down on one count or another. Um, but, but it won't change the past. You can't change the past. Right. You know, it's best to acknowledge it. So, you know, funnily enough, you know who was opposed to Confederate war monuments? Who? Robert E. Lee. He said that uh, that Confederate war monuments should 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 be limited to those commemorating the dead, basically to graveyards. He said that to establish um, um, Confederate war m- monuments beyond uh, 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 concern for 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 you know and, and pity for the dead was to be divisive. And that's a great point. And our leaders back then were so concerned they were going to come apart again. They wanted to go out and do what Lincoln said. It says, don't go for revenge. we got to come back together. You put down your guns. You sign your loyalty. Let's, let's move forward. And that's really the spirit in which a lot of those statues were made. It's and, true. And yeah. So when you talk about anger today, I thought this soundbite would be perfect to build on your case, P.J. O'Rourke, Cut 37. The name Nancy Pelosi. I have made confidence that he won't interfere. I think he will do anything uh, because I think he's proven uh, again and again that he is not a patriot, uh, that he has no respect for the Constitution of the United States, which he has no uh, uh, hesitation to violate. So I think you suspect the worst there. But don't dwell on him. Uh, let's reach out mm-hmm. and look forward to the American people. Because the, the more we talk about him, the less we're talking about a positive message. 
Now, you think she's talking about President Xi? No. Talking about no. President Trump. It's, uh, uh, you know, demonizing um, uh, uh, President Trump. Criticizing President Trump is one thing, and he's, he's, he's open to criticism. Uh, uh, he's not my favorite president. Um, but uh, uh, to, when you demonize him, what you're doing is, I mean, what she's basically doing there is a sort of an inarticulate, um, uh, a prolix version of basket of deplorables. That you people who see something in Trump or had hopes for seeing something in Trump or considered Trump to be a a, a useful shakeup of 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 a, a really sort of elitist inert um, complacent system, um, you, you're 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 just bad people, uh, and and we're not going to take you into account, even though you you <laughs> you know half the nation. So, PJ, put this in perspective then, because no one has to tell you what they, everyone thought of Reagan when he was in pre, as a president. He was detached. He was a figurehead. He was dumb. He was losing it. Now he's looked at as one of the greats. When you remember uh, Bush 41, what a great resume. What a great accomplishment. What a great family. They looked at him as weak. He didn't win re-election. Uh, Bush 43, his numbers are going up. Uh, well, he was really, they like to call him dumb as well. Uh, as you go through our past... We were never really, uh, we were never really singing from the same hymn sheet. I get it, but what's going to bring us back together, logically? Ooh, that's good. Well, first we're going to have to let the fires of idiocy burn out. You know, once the idiocy underbrush gets gets a flame, you know, we we get a sort of like situation like we've got on the West Coast. We're going to probably have to put up with um, another couple of years of of, of extreme foolishness uh, from the Democrats. I, I, I fear that they that they may win in November, and um, they, they they probably will get kicked out of Congress two years thereafter. Um, but it's going to be an expensive and difficult two years. It's going to get worse before before it gets better. But then I hope that we'll start to come to a more reasonable attitude towards government. It's just a machine. It's a big, powerful, dangerous machine, but it's just a machine. And we need to operate it in a rational right. manner. We put a lot of stuff into this machine in terms of our time and our energy and, our, of course, our tax dollars. And we want a product that comes out of this machine in an efficient way. Right. We want certain benefits and certain protections, rule of law and, 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 and defense. And we've got to start thinking about how well that machine works, how much that machine can do, what it can do, what it can't do. And uh, it's going. I think it's going to take us a couple years to sober up, uh, which will be great for you and me because you know we make our living <laughs> commenting on idiocy. PJ, and if idiocy suddenly went away, we'd be out of a job. Nope, I'm a little bit. I know what you're saying, but listen, I think it, it would take a leader that just refuses to have personal attacks. I'm gonna. I would make the statement. I am not going after anyone personally. I'll, I'll differ you on issues, but you will not get me to answer back. And, and, and you not answer attack you personally, like what we just heard, and President Trump does a lot of that. But I thought the key, the, the clues to our success eventually was this, what I heard from Gavin Newsom and President Trump back to Gavin Newsom a couple of days ago. I want to thank you and acknowledge the work that you've done to be immediate in terms of your response. This may be a record 
that the states received in the FMAG support, uh, as well as the major disaster declaration, which you referenced on August 22nd, which was profoundly significant, not only to help us support our mutual aid system, but also individuals that are in desperate need of support. And they went on with global warming, we differ. They said, yeah, we will clean up the forests, yep, but on global warming, we differ. He goes, okay, I understand that. And they got up and they left. There was no barbs. I'm sure there's going to be pressure from both parties to, um, from Gavin Newsom's party to the Democratic Party to say something bad about the president, I'm sure. But in that moment, I realized how much leadership and decorum could trickle down to the rest of the country. Am I wrong? You are not wrong. That was a gentlemanly statement, and then we could use a little bit more of that, couldn't we? And I think you could still find some humor in that, PJ. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, here's like the most anti-Trump state on the, on, on the face of the earth uh, for, uh, and, and uh, a very anti-Trump governor who, who knows – how to say thank you when the, when when the federal government does something that's right for his state, and uh, yeah, that you know that little soundbite improves my opinion of Newsom enormously. So, so you really owe me a lot. I do. <laughs> there you go. Uh, go out and pick up uh, P.J. O'Rourke, best-selling author, as good as it gets. His latest book, A Cry from the Far Middle: Dispatches from a Divided Land. P.J. O'Rourke, thanks so much. Buckle up for a crazy next 48 days. You bet I will, and you too, and thank you. Go get him, P.J. Uh, back in a moment with, uh, with your calls at one 408 Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I'm announcing that as of October 1st, uh, every Every mayor's office employee will be taking a furlough, and that obviously includes myself. And it was not a decision I made lightly. Um, To have to do this is painful for them and their families, but it is the right thing to do at this moment in history. Well, okay. Uh, Give them credit for that. Uh, Take a week off. Uh, A lot of people, city workers, you don't do that to get rich. You do that for influence. You do that for experience. You do that for a sense of service. So they'll be taking time off. Uh, The city is buried in debt because they've done nothing to bring back commerce. They've done nothing to bring people back to the subways and to the restaurants. And they just want a handout from the government. Yes, definitely need money into these states. I get it. And we're giving it. And they got it. But when you don't call up your CEOs, when you don't respond to your business community, when you vilify those who make money and earn a great living, when you say rich people, you don't have to come back, we'll get other rich people, when you say if you really cared about change, you would, uh, you would spread the wealth around, which, by the way, you're doing by eating out, by buying cars, by getting a car service, by, by renting a building, by cutting a commercial real estate deal. Unbelievable. So that's, uh, that's what's happening in New York, which is emblematic of the rest, uh, the rest of the country. Let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. This is great news, Pete. I think you'll agree with me. Jason Whitlock ahead of his time. The announcement's going to be official. The Big Ten is coming back to play football. 
Cut 33. I think it's one of the most positive things we've seen in sports since this whole COVID, since the social unrest, since George Floyd. It's the most positive thing we've seen. The Big Ten made a gigantic error shutting down. I think they thought they would force the other dominoes to fall in behind them. And thankfully, some parents at Nebraska, some parents at Ohio State, some players across the country, Justin Fields, the quarterback at Ohio State. And by the way, they've been playing and practicing, and they've been fine with the cases. LSU said we had a whole bunch of positive tests. We got through it. They're playing. And this is politics. Politics in Ohio, politics in Michigan. Nebraska wouldn't handle it. Go ahead, Pete. You know, and the best part about this season, starting by the 24th, they are, the champion will be eligible for the College Bowl championship. All right, that's interesting. So they're going to play eight games, and we'll see where we go. We'll see if everyone's going to get in. Next, the Daily Wire is moving its headquarters out of Los Angeles. they got 75 people. That's Ben Shapiro's outfit. They're going to be moving to Nashville, Tennessee. Like Joe Rogan, moving out like so many rich people, getting out. Uh, I just think this is emblematic of something bigger. That's a guy that grew up in California. You don't want to leave California. It's one of the most scenic uh, cities with has the most diverse states in the country. Can't afford it. So they're leaving. That's what you get. That's bad governorship year after year. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's a busy week, busy Wednesday. Back from D.C. in New York, broadcasting around the country and around the world. Senator Rick Scott of Florida will be with us shortly. He is really ticked off about what is happening with these riots and the police assassination attempts. Chris Starwalt at the bottom of the hour helping us make heads or tails of these polls and what's happening. Uh, you know, there's a CNN poll out, and it's, uh, it shows the president trailing by 10 now in Wisconsin. I'm thinking to myself, why? What happened? Uh, they were just by within two points. Uh, North Carolina, 49. Uh, Biden, uh, North Carolina has uh, Biden up 49, 46. And Wisconsin, St. Paul, has Biden up by 10. Uh, Monmouth has Biden up by uh, five points in Florida overall, which is a little surprising. And when it comes to Latinos, up about 15 points, 16 points. Well, it's just funny because the NBC Wall Street Journal poll had uh, President up by four, uh, five with Latinos. And neck and neck in a dead heat uh, overall in the state. No one's telling the truth. That's one thing is pretty clear. So we have a lot to go over. We'll not only talk about 2020, a lot, a lot more on the docket. And who knows who's going to come out during the show. Back in a moment. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. She is threatening to keep the House Democrats in session and prevent them from going home and running for re-election unless the Senate Republicans agree to the Speaker's $3.4 trillion coronavirus bill. It's crazy. Uh, the COVID aid rescue package it might have just been thrown a life preserver in some weird way. Can the parties get together and get a deal done for you? And we're going to talk about news uh, that was, I think, COVID-related. And I think it's because Big Ten football was put on the shelf to hurt Michiganders. And now Big Ten is going to play. They made the announcement today. They'll play an eight-game season. Number two. 
After decades of division and conflict, we mark the dawn of a new Middle East. Today's signing sets history on a new course, and there will be other countries very, very soon that will follow these great leaders. Historic, earth-shattering change in the Middle East as countries rally with Israel to reshape peace instead of talking about guns and bombs. All deserve credit, but none more than the president and his administration, Jared Kushner specifically. What was done, what was accomplished, and why so many can't get themselves to credit President Trump. Number one. The bad news is I show up when I'm invited, so, you know. Your poor relative, I'm like the poor relative. The poor relatives show up, eat all your food, stay longer than they should. The wealthy ones don't come. I'm like a poor relative. I show up. Now I get it. After seeing and reading about Joe Biden's uh, unscripted appearance in Florida, now it's clearer why his campaign does not want him doing much. He's slow, angry, and odd. However, Trump shows he's not quite ready for his first debate as he goes to a hostile environment, a town hall on ABC, and gets some real tough questions. And that's where we get started. So Joe Biden has an appearance because he sees the numbers slipping in Florida, and he knows if he wins Florida, he likely wins. If the president doesn't win Florida, he likely can't. So Biden shows up. Is he going to wow the crowd? Is he going to show people that retail politicians are going to responsibly socially distance and talk to people eight at a time, ten at a time? Is he going to put people apart, but yet address an open-air theater and let people know how he feels and take some questions? No, 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 and no. He shows up, does a roundtable with a mask. By the way, spread people out. Take the mask off. I got to hear you. I know you want to set an example. Set it on the walk. Take it off when you open your mouth. That's my opinion. And if I was scripting him, I'd want him there without a mask on. He's hard enough to understand him with that, without a mask on, let alone with it on. So here's Joe Biden at a roundtable trying to explain to veterans why he's there. Cut one. The bad news is I show up when I'm invited. So, you know, your poor relative, I'm like the poor relative. The poor relatives show up, eat all your food, stay longer than they should. The wealthy ones don't come. I'm like the poor relative. I show up. When do you show up? You barely show up. He's probably going to take three days off, although the president has no events today either. Also, I thought it was an interesting little slip that he does, not being able to name his own ticket. That's a new low. For example, cut two. Harris-Biden administration is going to relaunch that effort and keep pushing further to make it easier for military spouses and veterans to find meaningful careers to ensure teachers know how to support military children in their classrooms. Yeah. Uh, Number one, I just don't know how you slip over not putting your name first. It's like a dream of everybody to run for president. I mean, you ever see the president go, Pence and Trump? Never. You ever seen someone say, uh, I don't know, Quayle and Bush? Never. I never heard about this. I never heard it. I'll probably never hear it again. Wait a second. Cut three. A Harris administration together with Joe Biden as the president of the United States, the Biden-Harris administration will have access, provide access to 100. How do they both make that mistake within two days? Do they know for sure? And did Harris see up close, which he noticed in the debates? He's not good. This is the worst candidate to run for president ever. Even if he was at the top of his game, his background is dicey. His accomplishments are few. His experience in foreign policy has yielded almost nothing. His laws have given us almost nothing. In the 90s, the things he hangs his hat on is is, uh, criminal justice. Uh, enhanced criminal justice that people hate to put more people in jail of minority with minority backgrounds than anything else. So either you're going to fight that or run from that, or you're going to be 
with today's Democratic Party, which is way to the left, while telling people you're actually in the middle. What I think is most important is when he makes stuff up. Sometimes you hear a story and you embellish the story and years go by and maybe the story doesn't sound the same. But where is he getting this from? He tries to show everybody that we have to treat our soldiers better. I guess President Trump isn't by revamping the VA. Cut six. There was a Marine veteran who had been deployed a total of six times. Dodge Ram started down the street in front of his house, saw a woman walking her dog, ran over her, killed her, killed the dog, put her in the back of his pickup truck, molested her, came home and called the state police and said, I just killed someone. There was a voice in my head saying I had to kill someone. We have to end the stigma surrounding mental health treatment. What are you talking about? I mean, what are you talk? What are you talking about? No one. There's no. There's a stigma. Yeah, you don't want to have PTSD, but we all treat for it. We've already been through this. The president certainly isn't vulnerable on that. So Joey Jones lost both his legs in battle. You know he's a contributor here. Retired USMC bomb technician. Here's this. And was just incensed. Cut seven. But to listen to the vice president when I was serving, when I lost my legs, tell a story like this that one probably is not grounded in fact. I, I, I think that I and, and your producers couldn't find this story anywhere. But two, that, that literally equates serving in war to becoming evil. It, it's abhorrent. It, it's the worst thing I've ever heard a presidential candidate say about men and women serving. And yes, I was listening when President Trump ran for office and said a few things I didn't like as well. Uh, but that, that's the worst thing. That undid 10 years of work in the, in the military nonprofit mental health community of actually removing a stigma. These men and women may lose their will to live, but they don't lose their soul. They may hurt themselves, but they don't go hurting others. It's very rare. The problem is what he's trying to say is suicide. It is not violence. Yeah, of course it happens. But to go ahead and say that that's emblematic of what's going on with people and they get out of the military is crazy. Not only is it going to hurt, recruiting insults people like him. I don't need to expand on what he said. He just did it wonderfully. But that's your candidate. That's your story. We also know about the phony story he had of pinning someone's uh, medal on, which goes to show, I don't know what, never happened. A story never took place. The people with him weren't there. But he gets a pass on that. Now, Trump has got to get ready. He cannot have what happened to Barack Obama in debate one against Romney. He fell apart. He had no idea. He seemed blitzed. They even mocked him on SNL. And not blitzed as in drunk. He just got blitzed by Romney, who was on the top of his game because he was coming off 25 debates with Republicans and being on the stump. And Obama was governing. When they finally met, he was not ready. Trump Bush was not ready for Kerry after four years of doing this thing called governing and covering a hurricane. That's what Donald Trump's dealing with. He's literally in a daily political hurricane. And yesterday he showed me that he has got to really drill down if he wants to win big, which he has to do in those debates. Here's an example. They asked him about the mask mandate. Cut 10. They said at the Democrat convention, they're going to do a national mandate. They never did it because they've checked out and they didn't do it. And a a good question is you ask, like Joe Biden, they said, we're going to do a national mandate on masks. He's called on all governors to have them. It is a state responsibility. Well, no, but he he didn't do it. I mean, he never did it. But he's not president, and that's what Chad uh, Biden tweeted out. To be clear, I'm not currently president. If you chip in now, we can change that in November, so... The president's got to say, listen, he backed off of it after saying it. Please name something that he would do that I didn't do already. That would be a way to reverse it. 
and he's got to get ready to see what Biden says. You got to game plan it out. You can't wing it. President was successful in the debates, but it's going to be a little bit more difficult with Joe Biden because he can't tie. He's got to win decisively. He's got to rattle him clearly. I thought one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'm going to get to your calls. I promise this hour. Coming up next, though, Senator Rick Scott. He's incensed about the lack of law and order in a major cities, not only in Florida but in America. That story next. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. The Fox News this Radio is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you the opinions and facts surrounding the violence after the George it's Floyd Brian shooting. Kilmeade. And the numbers are mind-boggling. One to two billion dollars. Now, I'll tell you why it's so significant, because that those insurance losses happened over 140 cities. Most of the other catastrophic events we've had in terms of insurance have been single one-off events, hurricanes, something like that. So one to two billion dollars insurance losses. You look back at the Rodney King riots, it's about 775 billion, 775 million, excuse me. So much greater numbers this time. And it's happening in so many more cities. So a real challenge for insurance companies to try to protect and insure against these losses. Axios uh, telling some of the tallying up some of the numbers of the ongoing urban decline and violence. They call them protests, they're riots, and these people need to be in prison. Finally, I think there's a bit of a crackdown, but the culmination of which was the horrific assassination attempt in Compton, California over the weekend. Senator Rick Scott saw it. He's incensed by it. We're an op-ed about it and talked about how differently we're handling things today as we did in our past. Senator Scott, what really set you off? Well, first off, you know, uh, Brian, my heart, I just want to say my heart goes out to all those families getting uh, all this rain and flooding in uh, the Alabama, Florida. You know, it's it's right along the border there. I've talked, been talking to a lot of elected in the panhandle of Florida, and my heart goes out to them. But, hey, look, I'm mad. I'm mad about these rioters. Um, they think they can go out and burn our businesses. They think they can burn our, our, pre, our police precincts. They think they can, in America, it's okay to go death to America. And, and think what they just did out in L.A. where they shot in cold blood two uh, two law enforcement officers, and then they would chanted, you know, I hope, I think they would, they say, we hope you die. I mean, this is not the country I grew up in, and we got to start fighting back. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm furious that these people think they can walk into a restaurant and demand that we support their political point of view. Where in America did they, we ever get this, or they can, they can tear down our monuments to our founding fathers, the people that gave us all the freedom, the freedom to go um, protest but not to riot. So I'm going to do everything I can to keep fighting back. Um, but we, we have got to say we got to get back to a country that, you know, hard work and the values that we all grew up in, the, the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. That stuff is what matters and not I'm curious about what they're trying to do to tear down our country. This is this is wrong. This is what they do, and this is how they get how Castro came into power in Cuba, or you know how the Ayatollah came in power in Iran, or Maduro came in, or Chavez Maduro came in power in, in Venezuela. This should not be going on in this country. It's disgusting. And you talk about the difference between the way Martin Luther King handled it and Nelson Mandela. You said Nelson Mandela doesn't yeah. get out of prison and say I'm tearing down Africa. He rose rose to power and changed it. Right. And Martin Luther King never talked about burning a building or trashing a business or threatening people. And look at Mandela. Look at 
here's a guy that was in prison 26 years and came out and forgave people and said, we've got to make this better for everybody. We're not going to, he, he didn't, he, he wasn't, he wasn't a racist. He didn't go after the people that were so mean to him. He said, we're going to make this place a better place. But the, but these rioters, they, if we don't agree with them, they want to burn our whole system down. And so, I mean, it's, it's just a totally different world right now, what they're trying to do. And, and whoever, whoever is funding this, it's disgusting that they want to kill capitalism, which is what's given people the opportunity to get out of poverty, like me growing up in public housing, that I had the opportunity to go build a business. And now they want to tear down the businesses, the people that are busting their butt uh, to, to make a living for the families and support all the families that work there. I mean, this, what's going on in this country right now with these rioters is, is disgusting. If they don't like our country, why don't they go check to see what it's like in Cuba or Iran or go down to Caracas and live there for a couple of years and see if it's better there. Uh, the other thing that you used brought up that's something I always learned, you learned early on from your mom, life's not fair, right? Yeah. And that's key. It's, so so whatever yeah, the situation is, you've got to make the best of it, survive, learn from it, and move. And keep getting better yourself. I mean, look, there's always somebody that's going to start out life in a better position than you are. Get over it. There's always going to be somebody that lives in a nicer house, got a better education, you know, had some breaks that you didn't get. Who cares? Go show up and bust your butt every day. Quit complaining. In my household, my mom would not let me complain about anything. I mean, she here's a lady, had two kids, a husband that left her, didn't give her a dime. We were living in public housing. Did you ever hear her complain, say, oh, it's so bad? No. She said, get your butt out. You better do well in school. Go get a job. She said, you know, she wanted me to go to church a lot. She wanted me to make sure I was an Eagle Scout. She didn't say, oh, feel sorry for yourself. Government needs to do something for you. No. She said, you've got to figure this out on your own, and you've got to bust your butt. I'll be there behind you all the way. You can be anything you want, but you've got to do this yourself. Don't complain. Rick, uh, Senator Rick Scott with us now. So, Rick, over the weekend, you know, we know a lot of uh, the baseball players, football players, uh, the NBA players are speaking out about the injustices in society. And they say they want to make a change and they're putting on their helmets, their uh, their shirts. And we heard about how, um, according to LeBron James, that he's been they're being hunt black people are being hunted down in our cities. And that prompted the sheriff to have the shell of Villanueva of the L.A. Sheriff's Department after the assassination attempt on his two officers to say this. This challenge is to LeBron James. I want you to match that and that double that reward because I know you care about law enforcement. You expressed a very, very uh, interesting statement about your perspective on race relations and on uh, officer-involved shootings and the, the impact that it has on the African-American community. I appreciate that. But likewise... We need to appreciate that respect for life goes across professions, across races, creeds. And I'd like to see LeBron James step up to the plate. Well, do you think he will? Do you think he should? He absolutely should. But, but look, let's think about law enforcement. 50, I was governor from 2011 through the end of 2018. 51 members of law enforcement lost their lives in line of duty. They were showing up every day, taking care of people that, that were rude to them, and they still did their job. Now, let's think about people, the NBA players. They sit there and they want to talk about the injustice of this country, but not in China, no, because we make money in China. They wouldn't do it there. They, the Uyghurs going to you know, put in prison, the harvesting of organs, all that stuff. No, 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 no. We don't want to talk about it there because the NBA makes money off of that. 
But over here, they want to question how we, the country that has brought freedom to people all over the world, is a beacon for freedom. There's somehow we're not doing the right thing. So I don't want anybody to, to be discriminated against. I want everybody to have the exact Got same you. opportunity. But you do have to work your butt off. I think you made your point. Senator Rick Scott, thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right. See you, Brian. All right. Uh, and that's why he was uh, ready to go. And we appreciate his perspective. Chris Tyrell next. And then we end with you. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think it's one of the most positive things we've seen in sports since this whole COVID, since the social unrest, since George Floyd. It's the most positive thing we've seen. The Big Ten made a gigantic error shutting down. I think they thought they would force the other dominoes to fall in behind them. And thankfully, some parents at Nebraska, some parents at Ohio State, some players across the country, Justin Fields, the quarterback at Ohio State, Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback down in Clemson playing in the ACC, they started to elevate and speak out. President Trump gets involved with the Big Ten and offers them, I think, some assistance in terms of testing. And I'm glad to see the Big Ten retract. It's a positive sign. And that's true. An eight-game season will start, I, I think, October. Did we say that, Pete? It'll that start. is correct. It's start October 24th, and yeah. it'll wrap up by early December. That's pretty big news. October 24th and wrap up by early December, make them eligible for some type of, uh, some type of playoff. So that means uh, places like Ohio State, places like Michigan. Michigan State will have a chance uh, to play football. Now, the report in the Washington Free Beacon, a report a lot locally, showed that Governor Whitmer was the stumbling block. Uh, she is the governor of Michigan and thinks it's a great idea to lock everybody down except her husband when he wants to put his boat in the water. Quote, uh, she is reportedly, according to the Free Beacon, quote, she is vehemently opposed to football being played at both the high school and college level uh, in Michigan and blocking the university from signing on to be a part of a pared-down six-game, six-team league. Guess what? She lost and claims she had nothing to do with it. Uh, the president's push for this. And I think it's about a normalcy in the Midwest. I think it's great. Uh, Chris Starwalt, you put a letter for Fox News, but a big sports fan and a college guy. Chris, what do you think? Um, I don't think it has to be political. I, I love things that aren't political. And I think this one is, is that. The, you have the conferences that wanted to get out early, uh, Big Ten uh, and the Pac-10, we're going to get out. We're, we're not doing this. We're going to shut the door on it. I think that you're very right that they thought that the others would follow suit, right, that they would create the momentum behind this and that we're not going to play. Nobody's going to play. And then – and I'm a WVU fan. Uh, and then the Big 12 and the SD and, you know, we heard uh, rumors about this going into last week's uh, kickoff games. But the with the SEC and the Big 12 and – somebody else playing, oh, the ACC playing, uh, that it, for these teams and these folks to sit and look at other teams doing it, doing it safely, doing it responsibly, saying, really, we can't do this. We really can't do this. And I think one of the things that makes the most compelling case around sports, again, doing it responsibly, doing it in a, in a safe way, is sports means more than fans. 
right? Sports is not, yeah, sports is, it's about the fans and it's about the fan experience and it's about us. Not that everything shouldn't always be about us. But we would also remember that there are other dangers that young adult men face other than coronavirus. And for a lot of these guys, football or whatever their sport is, has been the thing that provided structure, yeah. purpose, all of the good, healthy things that sports can do for a young man and a young woman, but we're talking about football here, but all of the good and healthy things that this can do to channel what could be negative energy, yeah. to provide accountability, all of that stuff, those things are important too. And we can't just pretend like because coronavirus is a threat that these other things that that the that plague young men aren't aren't true too. I I would hope the other conferences pick up on it too. Show not only yeah you could delay and reverse yourself. What's the worst people? Let the critics come out of the woodwork. Go, go ahead. The the Big Ten can reverse it. So can some others. So can the MAC and some other conferences that don't get the publicity or the fans anyway. I would love to see it because this is once in a lifetime. It's not just about the Ohio States who send two thirds of their roster to the pros. Uh, two two players which uh, were tired of waiting and just going to be number one draft picks. So I think it's just great. And also, what do you think the significance is of? Uh, the governor of Pennsylvania losing that lawsuit on the lockdown and taking away rights of uh, six people that sued them. I, I think that's a good sign, too, to make governors accountable instead of acting like they're Napoleon or an absolute monarch of their state. Well, you know, I, in terms of how, how it affects Pennsylvania and the vote, I, you know, Pennsylvania was a pretty ugly story throughout. And Pennsylvania saw a lot of resistance more than in, even in other states. We, we saw certainly protests in Michigan. We saw protests in Wisconsin. But it was the hard feelings in Pennsylvania. And part of what makes the feeling so hard in Pennsylvania is how deeply divided Pennsylvania is, right? So if you think about, uh, yes, Detroit is in, in Michigan, let's say. You have one big city, and then you have one big blue city plopped into a very red state. But Pennsylvania has two cities on either end. Uh, and it has uh, some of the most conservative folks uh, in the central part of the state, some of the most liberal folks in the cities. And the feelings about this corona stuff have been very sharp and hard. So I know that these folks feel gratified. But, man, I don't think it'll move anybody's opinion uh, in Pennsylvania about this stuff. So the president of the United States uh, has got to get ready for a debate. And we both remember Barack Obama was caught flat-footed against Mitt Romney so bad SNL mocked him. And I remember George Bush so worried about his hurricane and being president, kind of didn't prepare for John Kerry, and he got slaughtered. And I remember uh, Reagan way back evidently did, had a terrible first debate against even Mondale at the time. So the president, this president can't afford that. And listening to him last night in a hostile environment um, with George Stephanopoulos made me think he could be potentially fall into the same trap. Listen to the president handle this question from Stephanopoulos, cut nine. And it's probably going to go away now a lot faster because of the vaccine. It would go away without the vaccine, George, but it's going to go away a lot faster. It with would go vaccine. away without the vaccine? Sure. Over a period of time. Sure, with time. It goes and many away. deaths. And you'll develop, you'll develop herd, like a herd mentality. It's going, to be, it's going to be herd developed, and that's going to happen. That will all happen. But with a vaccine, I think it will go away very quickly. Obviously, he'd be wide open to that. Chris Wallace would jump in on that. So he's got to well, he, no, wait a minute, go. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So Chris Wallace would not jump in on that. Why? Because, because these are very – so 
I think there is a, a serious danger for Trump in over preparation for this debate. Really? And I've heard a lot of talk about, oh, we're trying to get him prepared and the campaign is touting all that it's doing to try to get him prepared. They're worried because he didn't prepare in 2016. What if he doesn't do this time? Oftentimes what happens. So the format, Trump handled the format of these debates quite fine in 2016, right? Because here's how it goes. You talk, okay, what do you say? You talk, okay, what do you say? The moderator doesn't get in and act, unless you're Candy Crowley, the moderator doesn't get in and act as a fact checker or rebut or let me push back on that. It's not an interview. Um, It is a very scripted set piece kind of, not scripted, but it's a very uh, regimented kind of thing. And Trump did fine with Hillary Clinton. You're, I'm not a uh, no puppet. You're a puppet. Uh, he he did fine <laughs> and lived within the space that was available. If these Trump's campaign has has not been good, right? The, they have not been good this time. They've had a lot of money, but they've not been good. Now they've had a, a, they, they rebooted in July, and Bill Stepien knows what he's doing and all this stuff. But if they overprepare this guy, right, if they try to make him into a person who can cite facts and figures and do all that, that's not going to happen. I think if I was advising Trump, I would say, you know how to do this. It's not an interview. It's a debate. Say what you want to say and do what you did in 2016, and it'll be okay. So you're saying that if the president of the United States said, I invented a vaccine, I have a vaccine, and here it is. Well, no matter what he says, you don't see uh, Chris Wallace pressing him on that. Does he inject himself in the leg during the debate? Because that I would want to see. He pulls that he pulls the right. uh, syringe out of his coat pocket mm. and puts it in his leg. No, if Trump said uh, we're we have a vaccine that we're getting ready to announce, that Chris Wallace would say, "Well, Mr. Pre- yes, there might be some follow up, but he, but the emphasis, the urgent emphasis, is to get it back to the other guy, the moderator in a debate." Is not well, let me stop you. Let me, let me give you a better example because I didn't okay. give you a good one. Uh, you said on such and such date that this thing is magically going to go away and that you said, blah, blah, blah. You know, how do you explain that and the fact that 190,000 people died? Right. So when he answers, how he answers, if he right. changes the answer to do something that he didn't say, or he doesn't answer accurately about what he says. It's up to Biden to correct him. So if the, if and you can go back and look, but the, the standard here, going back to Jim Lehrer, who sort of established the, the, the structure here in his many years of doing the decades of doing it is basically this. So you say, if the person is non-responsive, the moderator is going to say, okay, that's not what I asked you. I asked you that. That's the ego. So if he answers a different question, it doesn't get to the bottom of that question or the topic that the the moderator is going to say, I I asked you this. And then if the person repeats, let's say Trump says uh, there is no coronavirus and Biden says or um, Chris Wallace says, "Okay, I want to be clear. I asked you about curing the coronavirus. You say there is no coronavirus. Yes, that's what I say. Then it's Mr. Biden. Gotcha. Chris, the other thing that I do think he has to prepare for. If you just say he's against fracking, he wants to socialize medicine, he will take down the wall, he will take your guns, Joe Biden effectively can say, 
I told you I wasn't against fracking. I, uh, fracking. I told you I wasn't against taking the. So he's got to be ready for where he got that from. Don't you believe? Well, in July, you said this. In May, you said this. Last January, you said this. Which Joe Biden is it? That's, to me, effective. I would not. I no? would not. It would be effective, but I would not try to make a new Trump out of an old Trump. I would let Trump be Trump. And you don't want to psych him out. He's already raised expectations through the ceiling for himself. <laughs> and Biden's are on the floor. And Biden's on the drugs. Last, yeah. 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 And so, so Biden... All Biden has to do is, uh, like, draw breath on his own and remain upright, and he will have passed the threshold set by the Republicans. Trump has set sky-high expectations for himself, low expectations for Biden. The last thing you want to do then, in addition to this, is introduce new moves into the routine and say, yeah, you're a shoot-from-the-hip, freestyle kind of guy. Let's try to turn you into Ted Cruz, right? Let's arm you with facts and data and no, no, but I think lead. but I do think that the president has said this on the stump before he will take your guns destroy the second amendment take down the wall and and that's that eventually could happen and fracking will be phased out and you know eventually he will give in to the left but those are my beliefs that's what he thinks those aren't absolutes so that's where he could get himself into trouble where you could say well you listen uh, Joe Biden, you know, backed himself up on that. He called called the president out for inaccurately posing his positions unless he's prepared. Joe Biden says he's going to be fact-checking Donald Trump in real time. He's not. <laughs> Nobody's going to be fact-checking each other in real time. These guys are going to have enough trouble getting their talking points out of their face, right? They're going to have a hard enough time with emotions high, with expectations, with pressure, with Chris Wallace's eyes staring them down, uh, they're going to have a hard enough time doing this without trying any triple axles. If I were Trump, I would go into this saying, and as, as you, no one is, no one is going to tune into this and say, I've heard the factual argument from Donald Trump, and I am now convinced. What they're going to say is, I like this person, or I don't like this person. I trust this person, or I don't trust this person. Television is about information, but television is a cool medium in which people uh, feel an emotional connection to what's going on on the screen. What Trump has to do is look like the president. He has to sound like Trump, and he has to sound like somebody who is in command of the situation. That's what he's got to do, and it's more about that vibe. This is a perfect format for Trump. It's more about the vibe than it is the nitty-gritty. All right. Uh, Chris, great points. Love it. Um, so it's going to give it's going to get more insight and insight incisive the closer we get, and it's only a couple of weeks away. Chris Steyerwald, thanks so much. We got football and we have debates. Two very competitive uh, comparisons. <laughs> yes, blood sport. That's right. <laughs> Go get him, Chris. Thanks. Uh, when we come back, I open up the phones and empty them with you. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. One of the weird moments that happened yesterday, and there was a lot of them, came from Jim Cramer, who I love on CNBC. He was with Nancy Pelosi in there talking about the rescue package, and he called her crazy Nancy. But it's been such a small soundbite. I asked Eric to go back, and I go, can you give me some context into how he slipped into calling her a name that only Trump uses? Speaker, I'm listening to you, and I you, three days ago you told CNN that you were optimistic about a deal. I am. I thought, 
Really? I mean, I, gotta I, take, I thought I'd take it right off the table right here at this very minute. You got Mark Meadow go and say he was the skunk at the party. He didn't really, you know, he's gotten in the way between you and I think Secretary Mnuchin. I mean, what deal can we have at Crazy Nancy? I'm sorry, I, that, that was the president. I, I, I have such reverence for the office, I would never use that term. But it is but hard, you just did. isn't it? Oh, come <laughs> but on. you just did. You know what I mean. You know, I know what, what I mean. mean. The I reverence do. I have I for the office <clears throat> is so great that I think it's a travesty to ever call. Look, you're. A... <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Uh, oh, my goodness. There's no getting out of that. I mean, there's just no. Oh, my goodness. You can see on his face, he was immediately aware of his. And yes. by the way, he meant it because she's all over the charts. Blaming everybody else except her. Uh, Stephen in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Hey, Stephen. Hey, how are you? Good. So I had a question. What do you think about all these polls? I looked at a poll the other day before Biden went to Florida and it had Trump winning. And now Biden goes there and now like it's a four or five points difference and he's winning. I just it's like so misleading all these different polls. I feel like they're more for the Democrat side than being even down the middle. I agree with you, and, that, and that's why I brought it out. I have even my notes here. Uh, Joe Biden with a, a slight edge over Trump in the NBC poll, uh, and then all of a sudden the Monmouth poll comes out. He's not even close, 53-37. By the way, this is what I look at. What's their action? Why did Mike Bloomberg put $100 million into Florida? Why is Joe Biden in Florida when he can't really leave his basement? Because they're in trouble there. Also, they could destroy Trump there. Trump, I don't think, can win without it. Thanks so much for the call. I appreciate it. Let's go to James, KCRS, Odessa, Texas. James. Hello? Yep, what's on your mind, James? Hey, uh, Brian, I, I think I'm kind of like you a little bit as far as I just want, I don't want Trump to fumble the ball. It's, it's his to lose. And when he makes a statement like he did that the virus will go away on its own, the virus will always be here. It's just, it's going to be like the flu. And, you know, we'll have treatment for it and vaccines for it, but it will never go away. It's always going to be here. And you just got to prepare. And listen, Chris and I differ on that. I'm right about let Trump be Trump, but you got to let Trump know what's coming. I mean, no one told Muhammad Ali had a box. Angelo Dundee famously said, you know, I didn't tell him to, to, to punch backwards. I didn't tell him to drop his hands and, and kid around. But I knew what he could do, and I knew how he had to prepare, and I knew he had to get in shape. And then it was up to him. And guess who loves boxing? Donald Trump. Guess who loves sports? Donald Trump. And the last thing you want to do is walk into a big event, which he loves, and not prepare. And part of that is, this is what Biden says when you say this. This is what he says when you say this. Just think it through. Hi, everybody. Well, thanks so much for listening. I want you to keep it here on the Brian Kilmeade Show and go to briankilmeade.com. Tell me what you think. Crazy Nancy. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.